morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody here for worship today. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about this morning's message and the series that we're uh, launching today. And before we really get to that, I just want to say if at any point in the message uh, you kind of lose track of where you are or you doze off for whatever reason, it's kind of a gloomy day, but if for some reason you get sleepy or if you look too long, you gaze too long into the design in your coffee cup, because um, some of you might have gotten an espresso, and so if you just get distracted or whatever, um, tomorrow you can go to our website, which is orangecrestcc.org, and uh, this message, along with all of our message, will be there, and you can go back through it at your own pace, and so I wanted to make sure that you all knew that about um, our website. It has all of our messages, so uh, but we're really thrilled that you're here to worship with us this morning. It's a fun day. I hope you're enjoying the donuts and the coffee. And today we are uh, starting this series called Who is God and Why Does That Even Matter? Um, It matters because our understanding of who God really is, uh, it touches every aspect of our life. It touches every part of our life. This idea of who is God, how you answer that question determines a great deal about the course of your life, the decisions you make, the the choices that flow from our perspective on this so I, I want you to understand that we're not going to be able to cover everything in this series about this question for sure. We're really just going to uh, touch on this on this question. And so uh, throughout this series, we're going to be looking to the Bible, and we're going to be looking to the Bible to see what God has said about himself. And uh, we believe here at, at Orange Crest Community Church that the Bible is, is, our, uh, is our authority. It's actually God's autobiography. This is the only reliable source that we believe as far as how do I get to know God? We, we look to the scriptures. And so um, if you've not yet decided that the Bible is all of that and you're not sure at this point, then I would invite you just to look into what it says about God over these next several weeks and just, just invite you to join with us as we look at the pages of scripture together. And we're going to try to make it really um, easy to follow along with. You're going to notice there's a listening guide in your bulletin. You can pull this out and follow along. Uh, but here, here's where we're headed as far as a preview. This is where we're going in this uh, message series. First, we're going to be looking at today how God is love. This is one of the things that describes God as a statement here, and it's it's honestly a statement that um, is in many ways used and abused, but it is certainly um, what we find in Scripture is that He is love. And when you experience God's love personally, if you've ever experienced or if you if you've experienced God in this way, then nothing else in life is really needed. This is really critical that you understand that God is love. Uh, next week we're going to be looking at how he is all-powerful. And this is a huge help, especially when we're working through difficult times, when we're working through trouble or when there's tremendous challenges. Knowing that God is all-powerful is, is a tremendous value. Um, in a few weeks we'll look at how he is all-knowing. Now this has a frightening side to it. I don't know about you, but the fact that God is all-knowing frightens me. <laughs> it ought to at least alarm you to some level because that means that nothing escapes his his notice and his view. Scripture says that he knows all of our thoughts, our motives, all you know, every every word that comes out of my mouth, all the words that I don't say but that I was thinking about saying, he knows that. This has a real frightening side to it, but it also helps us to really know this about God that he is all knowing because we can realize that nothing surprises him then. And yet he still loves us. So all of these things, this building understanding, he is all-loving, he's also all-powerful, those things work together. Add to that, he's all-knowing. Um, finally, we're going to look at how he's everywhere at once. He's present everywhere in the world 
all at once. He somehow pulls that off. I can't pull that off. You can't pull that off. No one can pull that off. No, uh, no one is like God in these ways. And so these ideas about God, they really set the backdrop for all of life. And there's a ripple effect tied to these truths. First, when you understand these things about God, they, they first impact our view of ourselves. Uh, from there, they begin to impact the people closest to us. And eventually, they work their way towards the rest of all of our lives, these things. Uh, when you dig into the scripture, though, you find this out. One thing is, this is at the top of your listening guide, is there is no love in the world without God. Now, this is a huge statement. And this, this truth is found in Scripture. But there, there is no love in the world without God. It was his idea. He's who originated love. This, let's look at this in 1 John chapter 4. This is where we're going to look most of our time is in this, this chapter of the Bible. Uh, it's, in the, it's near the very end of the Bible. A few books from the, from the end is 1 John. We go to the fourth, uh, uh, fourth chapter. It says this. This is written from a man named John who spent... Uh, he spent three years walking with Jesus, watching his ministry, and he's an eyewitness of Jesus. And so um, anytime I need help, anytime I need to fix something, anytime I need direction, it really helps if I can go to YouTube and find a, a video. If I'm fixing a car, find a YouTube video. That's really helpful. When we read this, we're getting kind of a, uh, a real-life encounter experience of, of Jesus and his life and the ministry through John's perspective. So it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, here's that statement that we're really looking at this morning, because God is love. God is the source of all love, meaning it flows from him, and love is at the very core of who God is, and it starts showing up in our world, and it starts showing up in our lives, all because of him. Uh, love is a part of our world only because it's at the center of the character of the one who made the whole world and who made all of us. It starts showing up because he's the source of it. There isn't any love in the world just uh, haphazardly, but it generated. It came from him. And it's also a universal need, something that we all desire is love, to be loved, to experience love. On different levels, we, we desire this. Certainly a major part of our uh, the music scene um, you know, for several decades, you'll find songs about love. You turn on the radio, you won't go long before you, you hit love songs, whether it's country, rap, whatever it is, you're going to find love. And again, all different levels, but, <laughs> but love is something that is a universal need and desire. Listen to this uh, audio clip. This is kind of a, a montage of some music centered on this theme of, of love, but it's through the world's perspective. So let's listen. You are my love and my life. You are my inspiration. Love, love, we do. You know I love you. I'll always be true. It's better to be.
capture something from all of your interests of music, and, and maybe not all, but um, but back before many of you were born, before I was born, some of you were around in the 1960s, uh, but in the 1960s there was a movement which began with what some called the, the Summer of Love. And so members of that movement, do you know their names? What were they called? The, the hippies. Yeah, the hippies. They had slogans like love, not hate, peace, not war. And a cornerstone of the movement of the hippies was was free love. And uh, that means all sorts of things. And uh, everything sort of culminated around this movement in 1969 with the Woodstock Festival. You've probably heard about it. Maybe you've seen pictures of it. There's a possibility some of you might have been there, I guess. But um, where one and a half million hippies um, wearing beads and feathers and some, nothing at all, um, flooded upstate New York for this expression of free love. And this, you know, they listened to music, they sang, they were one, and, and, and it got a little out of hand. And look at what this uh, band member of The Who, Peter Townsend, said about the Festival of Love. Now he's observing off the stage, and he says, What was going on off the stage was just beyond comprehension. Stretchers and dead bodies, people throwing up, people having drug trips. I thought the whole of America had gone mad. Interesting statement. All in the name of love. So in contrast to free love, what you find out in the Bible is that God's love is costly. It, it, it costs something. It's expensive. And here in First John, we see something described as very, very unique to who God is and his character. And so if you look at this passage where it says, Beloved, let us love one another. Um, the word love is translated, the Greek word is agape. And the word actually means sacrificial love. And so where you see the word love, you should probably draw a line and say this means sacrificial love. So it really would in a sense, mean, beloved, let us sacrificially love one another. For sacrificial love is from God, and whoever sacrificially loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not sacrificially love does not know God because God is love. This type of love is the deepest type of love. It's aimed towards meeting our greatest needs, both in this life and in eternity. And whenever we love people in a sacrificial way, we show that we know and we've experienced God's love personally. Whoever has love, it says, has been, or whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Here, here's a few broad characteristics of this kind of love. First, God's love is giving. His love is giving. It takes action. It's not a passive love. The Bible says that God gave his only son so that whoever believes on him could have eternal life. It's an active love. Look at verse 9 of 1 John. It says, 1 John 4, 9 reads, in this the love of God was made manifest, that word manifest means revealed among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So if you want to know how has God really demonstrated his love to us, we only need to look at how he gave his only son so that we could have life through his sacrificial death. Sometimes in our earthly human relationships, we play games. We get selfish, and it causes people and all of us to wonder at points if we're really loved. We wonder, is this for real? Is this thing for real? What, what's really going on here because of the games that we play? But God, he wanted to make it crystal clear 
that he really loved us. And so what he did was he gave Jesus as the ultimate act of love. And this is an act, this is an act of, of, of giving, in a sense. Uh, it's also forgiving. God's love is not just forgiving, but it's also forgiving. And no love that we experience on earth is, is absolutely and totally secure. Promises are broken, and they're not easily repaired. And so we're going we're gonna to turn back to 1 John in a few minutes, but I'd like you to flip to 1 Corinthians 13, where love is even more fully described. It says this in verse 5 of uh, 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love, it is not easily angered. This is the same kind of sacrificial love, God's love. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Now this is, again, this is in some ways foreign because we struggle with this. Love that has the power to forgive, though, is, is priceless to truly forgive. God forgives those who receive Jesus and give their lives to him. God's love is giving, it's forgiving, it also is without malice. This next one, without malice, that word means harm or evil intent. God's love does not have that. It's the love of a judge, but it's not a judgmental love. Which What that means is, even though his judgments They flow out of his desire to do right by the people that he has made. So they're they're right judgments. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 13, verse 6. Love does not delight in evil. It's without malice. This is hard for us to understand because we're not perfect like God. We don't love entirely. We don't love like this naturally. When we're offended by someone, especially by someone we love, our native response is, is some mixture of love and some mixture of malice. It's got love and malice, love and harm. And we tend to do a worst-case analysis, and we attribute kind of the worst motives to people when they hurt us. And while parts of us wants to reconcile when people hurt us, there's another part of us that wants to do what? Pay them back, hurt them back, just like they hurt us. You see, God, His love doesn't hurt back. If you feel judgment from God... He intends the guilt and the shame of our sin to actually lead us to forgiveness and to lead us to faith in Him. Finally, God's love is also unfailing. This very next verse states this. This is almost incomprehensible for us to understand and to really grasp about God, but His love is unfailing. It's unending. Look at verse 7. It says, Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. endures all things. Things love never ends. These... This description of God's, God's love, this is what we desire in life. A love that is giving, forgiving, without malice, unfailing. This describes God's love. But here's the big question really for, for today. Okay, that's a description of God's love. This helps us understand more of who God is. But here's the big question. Why does it matter? Why does knowing this about God really matter? How does this impact my broken relationships? How does this, how does this impact our guilt and our shame that, that many, you know, we carry around. We look in the mirror and we see the things we've done. We're reminded of the, the ways we've failed in life. How does this understanding God is an all-loving God, how does that really help us? Um, here's how it makes a difference. First, knowing God's love in this way that we've been describing, it changes me. It changes us. Look at verse 10. It says this. In verse 10 it says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is a picture of love. He's saying, this is real love. 
And we can experience this in this way. God loving us is the bedrock of life. The Bible says that every single one of us has sinned against God. We've all sinned. And sin, doing wrong, it separates us from God. And since we are born with a bent towards sin, towards living life apart from God and independently from Him, since we're all born with a bent towards sin, we need a spiritual rebirth. And that new birth, what it does is it changes us when we experience God personally. Because of this, because God sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is not a word that we use. You're probably not going to use this today or, or much. But I want to define it for you. The word means atoning sacrifice. You might want to draw a little line and say, atoning sacrifice. God sent His Son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our sin, again, that's our decision to rebel against God or to rebel from Him. That has separated us from God both now in this life and in eternity. And I want to kind of illustrate this in this way. Imagine that you were waiting for the birth of your first child. And every day you anticipated their arrival. And then the day arrives, you've been praying, you're excited, what are they going to look like, how are they going to act? The baby is born and you're just completely overjoyed, you're tears you're just emotionally like yes this is amazing i don't know how you know if that describes just how you are emotionally when things happen but but you're overjoyed you're overwhelmed and then they start growing start growing and they start figuring out how to eat and they start demanding their food you know they, they discover the different sources of food and they start demanding food in different ways and we, we know this is true of children and, uh, and then they start learning to communicate. And every, all the words they say are, me, mine, now. And maybe they don't have a deep voice like that, but, <laughs> but it's all very selfish. And the more they communicate, it's me, mine, now. They're de- more demanding. And then they learn to walk. You know, and you're so excited. I can't wait till they walk. And so you want them to walk towards you. So you're like, come to daddy. Come here. Come here, champ. Come on. And what do they do? They're like, and you go over there, come to daddy. Come here. And then they walk this way, and you're just, they, and then they turn around, and they walk the other way. And all of their lives, you know, they, they walk away. And, and all their lives, you want them to return the love that you've shown them just a little but their strongest desires are wrapped around what they want, when they want it, no matter the cost. And so what do they do? They go their own way in life. This is a picture of God in each one of us. Our strongest native desire is to live life independent from God and to go our own way in life. God, he's a loving God, but he hates sin. So, so he's an all-loving God who hates sin and rebellion. And so in our sinful and rebellious state and condition, God's wrath is rightly turned towards us and aimed right at each one of us in our sinful state. And when we feel guilt and when we feel shame, his desire is that we would that those emotions would be a trigger towards stop 
you know, stopping the walk that we've been going on, stop going our own way, and to turn towards him. That's what his desire is. That guilt and shame would lead towards repentance and turning towards him. We find forgiveness through God's gift of love. This gift is Jesus. Jesus went to the cross, and he was the propitiation. He was the atoning sacrifice for those who place their trust in him. And so this word propitiation is used here to show how how Jesus diverts the wrath of God Our rightfully angry God, that wrath is diverted from us so that we are loved by God and not hated by him. This is the ultimate kind of love. This is the ultimate kind of love from the judge who took the judgment, our judgment, upon himself when he died on the cross for our sins. Therefore, the most important step and the implication of really knowing who is God is actually turning your life over to him and responding to this love and beginning a relationship with him. As to choosing to turn away and to walk in his ways. Turning away from my own course in life. And if Jesus is going to come into your life and save you in this way, then he needs to be Lord. He must be the Lord of our life. He accepts you just as you are. He accepts me just as I am. At the same time, and that, that what that means is you don't need to clean up your life before you commit to him. But when you commit to him, when you choose to commit your life to him as Lord, there must be a willingness to to change anything that he shows you that needs to be changed. And you know how he does that? He speaks to us through the Bible. He speaks to us, and he gives us the power to change through his Holy Spirit. When we invite Jesus to come into our life, God, he puts his spirit inside of us, and the power to change that was not there before, the power to walk in his ways that was not there before, now becomes available to us. The resources of God are available through his spirit. And he gives us the power to really change our lives. So first, God's love, it, it changes me. Here, here's how to know God's love. If you, if you would say, I'm not sure that I really know God in a personal way. I've been to church. Maybe I was raised in church, but I'm not sure that this is a personal thing. Here, here's how to experience God's love and his forgiveness today. I want to explain this to you. Here's how you become a Christian, basically. You could even, as I'm walking through this, I'm going to take you through a prayer and some statements. You can even say, I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to become a Christian today. I'd like to turn my life over to Jesus. I want to experience the forgiveness of my sins. And if this is where you're at, I would invite you to pray this prayer silently as I'm walking through this. You would say something like this, Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe that you rose again. Is that something that you believe? If it is, express that to him. Next, I admit that I'm a sinner. Meaning, I've tried to live life independent from God. I've tried to do it my own way. I've called the shots. I've walked my own path in life. I admit it. I'm a sinner. Also, today I agree to turn away from my sin and to turn towards you. I'm doing a a 180. Essentially, today I'm done running. I'm done walking my own way. I'm tired. My way's not working. I give up. I really want you to lead my life today. I give you my life. This next one, I acknowledge that Jesus is now my Lord. Jesus is my boss. What this means is he's in charge. He's going to direct the flow of my life from here forward. And then last, I accept God's free gift of eternal life. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But Jesus paid to free me from my sin and God's wrath. Eternal separation. God has freed me through Jesus' death on the cross. I received this free gift of God's grace. I didn't earn it. 
but I receive it today. That, that prayer, if you pray that for the first time, is the prayer that allows you to be saved from the wrath of God and saved from the penalty, really the penalty of our sin. Both here and now, we still experience consequences from sin, but ultimately in eternity, this is where our salvation is, is found. Through Jesus and his death. This is how you know God's love if you receive him in this way. This is what changes us. And you experience God's love and his forgiveness. What happens is you get a fresh start in life. And many of you are at a point where you need a fresh start. Why not, why not commit that to him today? Why not commit your life to him today? Once you've done that, then you can do this second thing. Once you know God's love personally and how it begins to change, change you, then you can change the way you relate to others. Look at verse 11, just as we walk through this passage. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, if God so sacrificially loved us, we also ought to sacrificially love one another. God is our model. We become more like him. We can love like he does. And here's what God's God's love motivates us to do. Just a few things you might want to jot down. Number one, take action to show kindness. God's love motivates us to take action since his love is giving then our our relationships ought to be ones where we give of ourselves where we take action to show true kindness to each other when we're at home when we're on errands when we're at work we start asking how can i help someone else with their goals so that they will know that they're loved i've experienced the love of god i want others to to experience the love of god through my interaction with them god's love also motivates us to be patient and slow to anger See, it changes the way that we relate to each other. It changes the way you can relate to roommates, which isn't always easy. It changes the way you, you relate to close friends. And just because they're close doesn't mean that you don't hurt each other's feelings. It changes the way we relate to spouses, even to kids. The reason why is because we understand God cuts me so much slack. I mean, that is, that is a reality that if you've never... thought about the fact that God cuts you so much slack, then you're going to have a hard time relating to other people. But since God cuts me so much slack, that challenges me to think beyond myself and think about how can I be more gracious to the people that I interact with every day, my family, those that I, that I really, I do love. The fact that God cuts me slack allows me to just loosen up and cut each other slack as well and to be more patient. God's love also shows me how to think the best of others. You see, this this flows out of the fact that God's love is without malice. You see, we live in a cynical world where opinions and judgments rush in like tidal waves when we're hurt. When someone hurts us, we just we want to jump to reaction. But God's love holds on to hope for people. He's patient. Differences don't have to divide. We can actually bear with each other. We can choose a hopeful outlook towards others at work. We don't have to criticize people when, when they mess up on something. We can actually seek to understand why the problem occurred and maybe see the problem from their point of view rather than jumping on their case. We can choose to think the best of them. We can have a more hopeful outlook towards the people in our life or in our close relationships with family, with friends. We can ascribe the best motives. We can choose to ascribe the best motives to people not the worst. Why? How do we do that? Well, again, it goes back to God's love. Who is God? He is an all-loving God. That sets it up for us to be able to extend that same kind of love to people in our life. I want to, in 
invite our worship team to come back up to the stage and join me. And, and also invite the ushers to prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And um, in closing, would you take out that connection card? You pull out that connection card. I would like to ask you to think about how can we take all that we've been looking at this morning and convert that information into action? On the back of the connection card, if you flip it over, you'll see there's some on the left. It says my next steps or it says next steps. I'll take this next step. Here's a few different ways that you can respond this morning. The first one is this. My next step today is to, for the first time, I accept Jesus as my Savior and will follow him as Lord. If you were a person that you prayed silently or you just prayed that prayer along with me as I was describing it, and that was your first time doing that, would you just check that box on the back of this connection card? What that does is it lets us know that you became a Christian, and then we're going to send you some information. We'd like to help you grow. We'd like to help you begin to make some traction in the Christian life. If you, if you did receive Christ this morning and God's spirit came to live inside of you, the power of change is now, the power to change is now available to you. We want to help provide some, whether resources or people. We'll go at your pace. We'd love to help you um, get more information about how to grow. Second, extend love to someone this week. What's the most practical thing you could do? You might circle one of these or if there's something specific, more specific, I'd jot that down for yourself so you know how you plan to apply. Or the last thing is attend the rest of this series and invite a friend. We're going to be looking at um, these other truths about God. And it really does impact us in very practical ways. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your great love and how you demonstrated it to us through giving your son Jesus. And how that is all we really need in life. That sets it up, Lord, for us to love people the way that you've loved us allows for us to experience you in in the most personal way, Lord, as we receive your son, the one who died in our place, took your wrath so we wouldn't have to be separated from you for all eternity. Lord, we thank you for that. I pray that every person here would be at the point where they're ready to make you Lord of their life, where they're ready to receive you as Savior and Lord. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to have a fresh start today. I pray that you'd move people to that point this morning. And for the rest that are here that that may have already decided to make you boss, Lord, I pray that, that they and all of us would be moved to love people in a sacrificial way just like you've shown us, Lord. We ask you for the power and the courage and the wisdom to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.